The question I want to start with as we uh, jump in tonight is, uh, have you ever been wronged? Has anyone ever, ever been wronged? I think that's, everyone can probably raise their hand and say, yes, I've been wronged in, in some manner or another. When I was thinking about this for myself, I was thinking about uh, junior high when I was really needlessly wrong to have no idea the reason for what, why this happened, but, uh, you know, anyway, it happened. So, uh, one day I was on, uh, I was dropped off by my mom. It was a really rainy day, uh, dropped off by my mom at, at, I think it was an eighth grader at that point, um, and walked up the stairs to school and, you know, there's two double doors to get through to get into the school. And so I stopped in the middle one and after the first one and there's a, you know, glass second door, and as I was looking in, there were some people, uh, some older kids uh, playing hacky sack. You ever know the game hacky sack? So they were playing hacky sack, and, uh, you know, I waited for them to stop their, finish their round, and their, whatever, their round of hacky sack, uh, for, you know, the hack to drop or whatever, and uh, so finally it did, and um, and I, you know, proceeded to go to school, because this is what you do when you're going. Um, needed to get to class, and so I went in the door, and one of the bigger guys that was playing hacky sack just pushed me against the wall, like threw me down. Um, I'd never talked to the guy ever, like don't you know know him at all. I don't even remember his name at this point, but he just threw me against the wall for no apparent reason. Um, and some of his friends were ticked off at him for doing it and, and all this, but. Uh, you know, that's a time that I was wrong. Now, actually, I, I really have no answer for, for why he did that. I, you know, I think, um, I don't know if he thought I was someone else or, or, or what the case was, but um, you know, the fact is all of us have been wronged in, in some way, and um, there are reasons that people do things. That There's reasons, as we'll see tonight, why people betray one another. There's reasons why people deny uh, each other. There's reasons why people mock other people. Um, and so we'll look at some of that as, as we see Jesus' experience of being wronged. Um, the fact is that the, the Bible as a whole is, uh, a lot of times we focus on the idea that the Bible is a story about how our God saves us. And, and that's true. It's, it's, that's probably the best part about the Bible is that it's a, it's a, a story about how our God saves. Um, but the fact is, it's also a story about how humans go about wrongdoing. Um, throughout the Bible, we see story after story of of human wrongdoing. Um, I'm reading Daniel right now, and in one of the stories in Daniel, Daniel time after time is uh, betrayed or uh, or hurt by uh, the the leaders of the day. And uh, you know, the, the time I was reading just a couple of days ago was when he was sent to the lion's den. It's like, okay, this group of individuals conspired against him to set up this particular law in which he would. Uh, have to be thrown into the lion's den for his religious beliefs, and uh, they they were essentially jealous of Daniel's position and prominence, and they used their authority to 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 betray him to the uh, before the king, and um, and we see other stories like uh, like David and Goliath, where uh, Goliath uh, not necessarily denying, uh, not necessarily hurting a, a person at the time. He was actually just mocking the gods of Israel, like the God of Israel. Uh, he was standing before Israel's army. Uh, he hadn't engaged in any warfare yet, but he was mocking the God of Israel. And that's when David comes up and says, you can't do that. You can't mock the God of Israel. 
Goliath was uh, mocking the God of Israel. He was puffing himself up. There are you know, other stories as well of, uh, of brothers who wrong one another. The story of Joseph and his brothers. His brothers, in fact, sell him into slavery. They throw him into a hole at first to leave him for dead. Uh, but then they, their conscience gets a little bit of them, and they decide to let him live and, and, and sell him into slavery. God uses that, obviously, to uh, call out a people. And even at the beginning of, of, uh, of the Bible, we see that Adam is the, the first to show us human betrayal. He uh, is given a clear instruction not to, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. And, um, and when he's tempted to do so, he, he does. The Bible is not just a, uh, a story about how our God saves, but it's also a story about human wrongdoing. And the fact is we have to grapple with how we respond to the wrongdoing of others. And what we'll see tonight is that Jesus responds in a particular way. Um, and the, the way he responds, as, as we'll see over the next three weeks, is he responds with confidence against opposition. Jesus, over uh, the time of his ministry, continues to tell his disciples over and over that uh, this time of suffering for the Son of Man, for, for Jesus, is, is going to come. He points to it uh, in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34, by saying this to them. He says, And taking the twelve, uh, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Time and time again, Jesus uh, sets forth this truth that he's going to endure suffering and betrayal uh, to the disciples, and they, they don't quite understand what that's going to be. But over the next few weeks, we'll see that those those uh, prophecies, those predictions about himself are coming true. In fact, this man who had done miracle after miracle, uh, had healed death, had uh, ordered nature, had uh, brought forth food, uh, who had taught powerfully to the crowds of God's love, um, is now going to be turned over to the crowds uh, and denied, betrayed, mocked, uh, flogged, and ultimately crucified. But the thing we see about Jesus throughout this is that while he preached uh, boldly throughout his life, during this time he, he faces opposition in a different way. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't defend himself in a strong manner because he knows this is the time that he has come for, the time that he is giving his life over for humanity. He knows that this, these things are to come and he faces them with confidence because he knows what God has called him to do. Just uh, a few weeks ago we studied about how Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that this cup would be passed from him, that he wouldn't have to endure this suffering. But it is God's will that he did this because God loves us so much that he sent his only son, as we'll, say, as we'll see. So let's walk through these, uh, these few passages. There's three that we'll look at. Uh, one about the betrayal by Judas. The second one about the denying uh, by Peter. And the third about the mocking of the guards. Um, uh, the one I just spoke was John three six sixteen. That is that the one you were. 
Uh, oh, sorry, Luke 18, verse 31. Yep, that's right. Um, so the, the, what, I'll, what I'll ask you to do in each of these sections is uh, just take a moment and, and listen closely as we read the passage because Luke is so good, especially in his narrative about uh, portraying the scene for us. He really describes things very well. So I just want you to try and picture the scene as much as possible. We'll walk through it, and then I'll say a few things about, about each situation. So the first one, uh, the betrayal by Judas in, in verses 47 to 53 of chapter 22. It says this, <clears throat> While he was speaking, and again, they're in the garden at this point, in the Mount of Olives. While he was speaking, there came a crowd... And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus and kissed him, uh, to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against, uh, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. What a powerful scene that we um, that we read here. I mean, can you imagine the the darkness of night and, and this crowd of individuals coming forward with with torches and and then Judas, this man who is one of the twelve, approaching Christ in in that moment. And probably because it was too dark to make out uh, who was who in the situation, Judas is the one that has to uh, point out to the crowd following him who Jesus actually is. And goes to Jesus and. Uh, begins to uh, to kiss him on on the cheek a, a a natural greeting in the time and Jesus says Judas are are you going to betray the son of man with with this greeting with a kiss at this point the uh the disciples are thinking you know this is our time this is this is the great uh this is the the great climax of of our time with Jesus. This is the time when God's going to do something amazing and we're going to start taking over the kingdom. And Peter says, Lord, should we strike with these swords that we have? And he goes probably for the guy's neck to, to start off this fight, to pick this fight and say, and, and, and start advancing the kingdom of God in his own power. But he misses. He gets the guy's right ear. And what we see in Jesus' response is this. He says, no more of this. And instead of letting this fight go forward, he immediately creates reconciliation. He takes the man's ear and restores it entirely. We've seen throughout our study of Christ that Christ could easily have taken care of these individuals. He had authority over all nature, authority over over. Uh, death, disease. There's no doubt in my mind that if Christ wanted to, he could have wiped out this whole brigade of individuals. But he says to them, have you come out, of, out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? 
And he goes on to say, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. It's God's will that the Son of Man would be betrayed and that he'd uh, go to be crucified. Could you imagine being betrayed by one of the twelve? How is it that, that Judas, one of, one of the twelve that, that Christ chose to follow him, how is it that this man betrays Jesus? He was with Christ for, for three years under his ministry and his teaching and seeing his miracles and authority. We see from John 12 a, a, a little bit of uh, the reason why. The fact is that Judas, uh, we're not sure at what point he began to just be about himself, maybe it was the whole time, um, but took advantage of the situation that he had among Jesus. It says in Luke 12, verses 4 and 6, this about Judas, one of his disciples who uh, was about to betray him, it says in verse 5, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? See, in in chapter 12 of Luke, uh, Mary had poured out this ointment on Jesus' feet, feet at Bethany to anoint him. And Judas is taking issue with this, saying that, well, this ointment could have been, could have been used to uh, care for the poor. But he didn't say this because, uh, Luke, Luke 6 says, he didn't say this because he cared for the, for the poor, because, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was in it. Judas was apparently out for himself at, at various occasions. And this is the culmination of his, of his actions, uh, the betrayal of Christ. The fact is, Christ had come into Jerusalem. He, he'd overturned the, the money-changing tables in the temple, and he'd uh, preached boldly that he is the king. But uh, Judas is starting to disbelieve the things that, that Jesus is saying. Jesus doesn't believe that, that Christ is who he says he is. And as a result, he, instead of being loyal to Christ and giving his heart to Christ and trusting the words that Christ had said over this three years of ministry, he instead looks for an opportunity to benefit from the situation, to benefit himself. And he goes to the leadership of Israel and and says, um, yeah, I'll be the one to betray Jesus. And the price that is agreed upon is, is 30 pieces of silver and and Judas receives his reward for his actions. The fact is that we see here that humans betray for a reason. Judas betrayed Jesus because he found something he could get out of the situation. Humans betray one another because of their own selfishness. We betray each other because we see an opportunity to get a leg up for our own self. We take advantage of this person then we'll get ahead, so on and so forth. We see this often when, when a corporate scandal comes up. We were talking about corporations earlier. Uh, back, I guess it's been probably more than a decade ago, uh, when Enron, when the Enron scandal, scandal came out. Uh, Enron's a big energy corporation in you know, Texas, and uh, the leaders of Enron were essentially uh, setting up various agencies to funnel more money to themselves, they betrayed both their investors and their employees in order to create a more lavish lifestyle for their, their, their own good, their own benefit. 
And that's the reason why people betray people. They betray each other out of selfishness, out of a desire to give themselves more things. It's the same reason that we see Judas betraying Jesus. But Jesus in the midst of this knows that uh, he's got a purpose and he's confident in the call that God has put on him. And even though someone betrays him, you would think, well, what is the justice in this that Jesus is betrayed? He hadn't done anything wrong. But Jesus knows he has a call and he's confident in it. He says to them bluntly, I was with you day after day in the temple. Why didn't you lay hands on me there? The fact is they were scared of the crowds. He finally says this, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus can be confident in the midst of betrayal because, again, he knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. What God has told him to do is that he's going to the cross. And this is the tip of that. This is the start of that trajectory. He is going to the cross. So first we see that uh, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and we, we see that he does so out of selfishness, but that Christ faces this betrayal with confidence, knowing that he's doing the right things. The fact is, when we're betrayed by someone, we have to ask ourselves, are, are we doing the things of God or, or are we pushing people to this betrayal? If we're confident in what God has for us to do, then we will have no problem facing issues of betrayal. We will continue on in the, in the things that God has called us to do, being obedient to what he has called us to do. The second scene we see here is uh, Peter denying Jesus in verses 54 to 62. So let's read that. And again, just I ask you to picture this, this scene in your mind. You maybe heard it before, but listen again and picture the scene. Starting in verse 54, it says, Then they seized him and led him away. Bringing him into the high priest's house, Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, How he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Why did Peter deny Jesus? It's an amazing scene. We see him, he follows after Christ to, uh, to see what's going to happen, or to, uh, I, I'm not, not sure of his motives, but he follows after him to see what is going to happen. And he's sitting there in the courtyard with a number of individuals, apparently, and as the light comes from this fire, Someone sees him and recognizes that he's, uh, that he's one of those that was with Jesus. 
And it happens to be a, a servant girl that, that notices this. And you know, I think Peter in his mind was thinking, okay, I'll just tell this one girl that you know, I, I don't know him and, and nothing will come of it. But after the one says something, then another one asks him and he denies it again. And then another one asks him and he denies it again. And we get this amazing picture of the, the fact that Jesus must have been close enough to see Peter from where he was and he turns and looks and immediately Peter realizes what he has done. He's denied his his Savior, denied that he is associated with this Son of Man, with Christ. Why did he do this? I think we look at the the past days that Peter has been with Jesus and uh, all the uh, amazing things that 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 Jesus has done as they've entered in Jerusalem and as as uh, Jesus has taught boldly in the temple and as he's proclaimed the the word of the Lord and as he's done miracles and signs before them and then all of a sudden we see that scene from uh, from Judas coming to betray him and and Peter thought well now this is what's going to happen this is when we're going to institute the kingdom this is when we're going to uh, fight against the leadership and 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 end up taking over. This is when things are going to turn. And instead, he's rebuked by the Lord. And when he tried to pick a fight and take control, Jesus says, no, that's not my intention. So after the betrayal of, of, of Jesus, Peter's understanding of what's happening, the, the issues of the circumstances is totally crushed. He has no idea what is happening. He, he loves the Lord and and cares for him. In fact, he had confessed to Christ that he would go to death for Christ. But his understanding of what's going on is totally crushed. His confidence is a wreck. He is simply afraid of what's going to happen. The fact is, that's what happens when we deny someone we're associated with. We deny other humans because we're afraid of of other humans. We deny some humans because we're afraid of other humans. That's true in in cases of of bullying, I think, is one great example of that. Why is it that bullying isn't stopped by other people? Well, it's because the other people are afraid of the bully. And that's the case here. Peter is afraid of what man can do to the flesh. So he denies Christ three times. We deny one another out of fear for people that have maybe some authority or control over us. Jesus could have done anything to Peter. Again, his power is complete. He could have, uh, I don't know, he could have... uh, banished Peter somehow or sent him out, but that's not the case. That's, in fact, totally opposite of the case. What happens is Jesus looks over at him and Peter is broken in spirit. He, it says, weeps bitterly and leaves the situation. He runs out crying about uh, what, he's, what he has done. We can see Peter's heart is different than Judas's heart. Judas's response to his betrayal is, is one of... Uh, uh, of suicide, he gives himself over, whereas Peter is one of repentance. He weeps bitterly about what he has done. <laughs> hey. 
Jesus sees his heart. Peter repents of this denying. So, when we betray one another, we do so out of selfishness. When we deny one another, we do so out of fear for each other. Christ is, again, in these situations. He's not shaked by what's going on. He's confident in what he's doing. The third and final scene that we see is one of Christ being mocked by the guards in verses 63 to 65. And it says this, Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept saying, uh, and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that, you, that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. So, so far tonight we've seen that Jesus has been betrayed by one closest to him, denied by another that is even closer, and now mocked and beaten by the temple guards. These are guards who uh, would have clearly seen the teaching that, that Christ did in the temple throughout this past, past week in their time of Jerusalem. They would have known that, uh, that Christ was a prophet, that he, that he prophesied boldly about things, and that other people held him up as a prophet as well. And so they say this mocking statement, prophesy, if, if you can, who is it that struck you? They're mocking him, trying to get a rise out of Jesus somehow. The guards mock him, they beat him, and they insult him. So why, the question is, why did the temple guards do such things to, to Jesus? I think it um, really stems from insecurity about who they are. They somehow want to prove they're on the right side by, uh, by doing these things to Jesus, by, by pushing him to his limits. They mock him and insult him to try and puff up their own selves. And that's, that's really the root of, of, of why people mock other people as well. We mock people out of insecurity for our own position. I think a, 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 a small example of this is uh, in sports. If you look at any sport, whether uh, boxing or football or basketball or baseball or even horseback riding, uh, the fact is before an event in the pregame, oftentimes opponents uh, will mock each other, especially opponents who are insecure about their ability to to, to beat the other team. You get this amazing rhetoric going back and forth, uh, especially in boxing master- matches and even, uh, like I said, in, in horseback riding. We watched that movie. What was that movie? Um, what is the name of that horse? Uh, Secretariat. That's right. That movie Secretariat. Great movie, by the way. And in, in Secretariat's um, races against you know other horses that were uh, were favored for various reasons. The, the there's a picture of a, a scene of these 
uh, owners sort of sitting at a table in front of a news conference, and one of the owners is just very boisterous about his, uh, his horse and just claiming amazing things and making fun of uh, the other horses. And, and, um, and the first race, they get beat. In the second race, the guy comes back and is clearly uh, less secure about his position and continues to mock and put down the other horse trying to somehow uh, gain attention. But even, so even in horseback riding, there's this mocking that goes back and forth in, in competitions in the, in the pregame. But it's all out of insecurity of where they really are. It's out of puffing up, out of, out of trying to, uh, you know, I guess intimidate the other person. That's the same thing that's happening here with the guards, but here we see that Jesus has no response. At first we saw Jesus against the betrayal saying, this isn't how we respond to betrayal. We don't need to start a war here. I've got things completely under control. In the second scene, we see him look at Peter and just show Peter that he knows. Peter responds by repentant weeping. In the final scene, we see Jesus being physically beaten, mocked by these temple guards, and he says nothing. The fact is, there's no reason to respond to a mocker. Jesus is confident in what he needs to do. There is no, uh, no gain that would come from him saying anything to these mockers. And that's why it's such a brief section. This just happened very quickly. They, they beat him and, and Jesus has no response. His response will, will be soon in a few days when he, uh, after being crucified, is raised from the dead. So these are three uh, powerful scenes, one of betrayal, one of denial, and, and one of mocking. And they, they teach us two lessons that I want to highlight as, as we move to a close. And the first is this, that obedience gives us confidence in the midst of opposition. How does Jesus respond to beating and denial and mocking? He responds by bearing the consequences of, of his betrayers because he knows where he's going, where he's going is the cross. He restores his deniers. Peter denies him three times, and after Christ is raised, he restores Peter in a threefold manner as well. Finally, he doesn't respond to his mockers because it would be futile to do so. He knows where he's going. Jesus is absolutely confident in what the Lord has for him to do. So any opposition that comes his way, he can face with boldness because he knows what God is calling him to do. And so we have to ask ourselves the same question, or this question, can we have confidence in the face of opposition just like Jesus did? And the fact is we can, because the Bible is faithful to tell us how we ought to operate in this life. I just pulled a, a, a few examples of this. Um, one from Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It highlights very clearly our attitude toward the circumstances of this life. 
should be about accomplishing justice. That is, when we see injustice to help establish justice there. Loving kindness to be about extending kindness to others. And finally, walking humbly with our God. He shows that our operation in this world should be marked by humility in our walk with God. Next, here's an example from the New Testament. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Simple, simple, uh, ec- uh, simple instruction from Christ to make disciples. Starting in verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What has God called us to do? Tell others about his love for us. Proclaim the gospel where it needs to be proclaimed. Make disciples in this world. He says, and I'll give you all authority to do so. So he teaches us that uh, in Scripture that we ought to walk humbly with God, that we ought to proclaim his gospel. He teaches us in Colossians 3.23 that we should be excellent in everything we do. So not just about uh, proclaiming the gospel, but everything we do should be done with excellence. He says, in, uh, Paul says in Colossians 3.23 and following, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So we aren't called to just uh, to do justice and kindness and walk humbly with God. That's, that's not the only calling. That is part of the calling that, that we're given. We're also called to proclaim God's love and kindness his gospel message that through Christ and Christ alone we can be restored to God the Father. We should make disciples. And also, not just do we have a spiritual calling from, from the Word in our life, we also have a calling to be excellent in all that we do. By doing so, we honor the Lord, and our work becomes not just work that benefits us, but work that benefits the Lord and gives Him glory, and thus becomes spiritual, even though it seems so temporal to do everything as to the Lord. Obedience to the word of God gives us confidence in the midst of opposition. The fact is when we stand for a truth that says that Christ is the only way to be restored to God the Father, we will face opposition. So we have to be sure in what we're to do, just as Jesus was, We have to be confident in his instructions to us. And we're given that if we will search his word and allow his word to speak to us. You don't have to hear it preached just from me. The word speaks for itself. I encourage us all, seek the word, eat the word, read the word. Apply the word to your life. So the first lesson is this. Obedience gives confidence in the midst of opposition. The second one is, very basic. Jesus willingly faced this opposition for us. The root reason why Jesus is going through this betrayal and this denial and this mocking is not only for his glory. It is for his glory, 
but it's also that we might be restored to God the Father. We might have relationship with our Maker again. That This brokenness that exists in our world, this, this cry in our hearts to betray one another, to mock each other, to deny each other for our own selfish gain, could be cured in Christ Jesus. He willingly faced this for us. John three fourteen and following says this, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whether we're the betrayed or the betrayer, whether we're the denied or the denier, whether we're the mocked or the mocker, there is hope for all who call on the name of Jesus. Because he endured the shame of suffering on our behalf. He endured the betrayal. He endured the denials. He didn't endured the mocking. As we'll see in the next couple weeks, he endured a trial that was unfair. He endured a crucifixion that was the worst possible execution you could possibly endure. And he did it that we might be restored to God the Father. In his defeat of death, he empowers us to face all the circumstances that come our way. There is no opposition that we can't face with confidence because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray to close. God, we thank you for your life. It has been a pleasure to to study it over this past year and a half in a in a in-depth manner to see how you poured out your life for those around you how you gave yourself selflessly how you came so humbly how you served with great power and authority You endured betrayal, denial, mocking, beating, insults, blasphemes. And you did so not just to be an example for us, but that all who call on your name would be saved. Lord, we are hopeless without you because the truth is we are betrayers. We are deniers. We are mockers. We seek our own gain often. Our hope is in Christ alone. He is the one who has saved betrayer and betrayed. Lord, help us to know that more and more each day. Help us, God, to be obedient to the things you've called us to do, to love the justice that you desire, to extend the kindness that you extend, 
to walk humbly with you. Help us, Lord, to be diligent in making disciples, teaching of all that you taught us, teaching people to observe all that you taught us, baptizing baptizing them into your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Help us, God, to do all that we have to do unto your name. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.